Well, good morning. Thanks for being here today. I'm Rick. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it is good to see you. We're in the middle of a series called Be Transformed. Sean, I can see that you've been doing some work. So uh, the, Sean is always working on our board, and uh, in fact, we've had a, our board messed up. You might not know this, but uh, we had to get a new board and last minute change a bunch of stuff last week, and Sean is such an expert on that board. He just did it like it was nothing. And he's always working to improve and change things. So, Sean, thank you for everything that you do for us. God bless you. And, uh, oh, you can clap. Our drummer, actually, it's her 20th birthday today. And so you can clap for her, too. <laughs> so in the series, we said, hey, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And today, we, last week we focused on, hey, let God transform you. And today, we want to focus a little bit more on by changing the way you think. And this is really the big important thing, especially when it comes to change. And how do I do that? Should I do that? Even happen my, having my eyes open to the fact that I should change. And change is happening all around us. And a lot of people, you know, go through change and say, you know what? There's something I want to do. There's something that I really believe that I'm convicted of and want to start doing better or different in the future. And there was an example of that this past week with Hillary's baptism. Now, see, uh, you know, all, the, all you guys, or a lot of them, are sitting down front. So if you want to clap for Hillary, she's here in the house. So way to go, Hillary. Right? And so she was baptized, Savannah baptized her, and I just think this is fantastic. And so... Uh, all the yo pros, which you guys kind of got started and keep growing. I just think that is outstanding. And so it's just an example of, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this self-inventory, and I want to take a step closer to God, closer to Jesus, closer toward my goals, closer toward becoming the person that I've always wanted to become. And so I just think that is fantastic. Now, I was talking with Brenda Salee a little bit, and so she sent me last week this example of stages of change. And so uh, for people like me who are like counseling, uh, I've gone through so much counseling. I'm an expert. You know, I'm, I'm like, hey, I'm, a pretty, I'm an expert when it comes to <laughs> sitting in, in uh, counseling sessions. These are the stages of change. And so it just psychologically or just moving through the way that you think, these are the changes. And so and this comes from the Recovery Research Institute, and it says there's this pre-contemplative, I'm not even thinking about changing. I don't think there's anything in my life that I need to change. You know, I'm fine. Other people might have a problem with me, but quite frankly, it's their problem. It is not mine, right? So, so don't elbow the person next to you, but this is, you know, just like, I, I don't even see a change. Maybe somebody's tried to point it out, but I don't get it. And nor am I going to listen to them because they need to change a whole lot more than me. So this is one of the things that we need to talk about just at the very beginning. I'm not talking about the change that needs to happen in the person next to you. I'm talking about your own change. And the things I'm talking about today are things that should really start with me. That you should be able to see in me this attitude of if somebody comes against me and says, Rick, that's you're just not good at that or whatever that is. Then my first step is, are they right? Before I go... What about, what about you, right? The first thing I should do is ask, okay, what do I need to learn? What, am I, what is it that I need to hear first? And so it begins here. So this contemplative stage is, okay, 
there's something going on that's not right. There is some dissonance. I'm beginning to suffer some consequences of certain decisions. And so maybe I do need to change something. And we start really thinking about it. And then in the preparation stage, it's like, okay, what would be my plan? What do I need to do? How do I need to go about that? And so what are, what's the first thing I need to do? What's the next thing I need to do? And so you start writing out a plan. Okay, if I'm going to do this, it's going to involve listening to my best friends or go, going to counseling or, or whatever that is. And then in the action stage, it's, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step I'm gonna, or a couple of steps. I'm going to do whatever I feel like I need to. And usually in the action stage, it's like the first quarter up to the first six months, you know. And, and it's like, can I build that habit? Can I build that change? Is it something that I want to continue doing? And then in the maintenance stage, it's like, this is working. I'm transforming. I'm changing. I'm becoming a better student. I'm becoming a better spouse. I'm becoming a better son or daughter. I'm becoming a better coworker. I'm becoming a better Christian. Whatever that is, and then it's maintaining it. Now, if there's going to be relapse, it happens right in here, right? I did some stuff, but it didn't take. I went back, and so it's like, okay, I can't do that. Yes, I can do that. What am I going to do differently this time? Putting it into action, and so this is often repeated, right? And so these are just the stages. That's not really even what I want to talk about today. I want to understand it because this is part of my thinking. And it's, so you're transformed by your thinking. But what I want to know is, is what, what's the spiritual dynamic behind all of that? And the first thing that we have in your outline, and we have more outlines on the back tables if you want some. If, uh, did anybody get an outline who wants one? If you'd like to take notes, just raise your hand if you want to. Well, there are a couple of hands. Hey, Chris, do you mind bringing a couple of them down? Thank you. So, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, just raise your hand, and, uh, and they'll bring. Do you have pens? I hope you have pens. And so, Chris, she's got it. Thank you so much. So, first of all, is this, I can change. I can. It's just, it's my own language. I need to, I want to, and I can do it. And, and so it's the prayer behind it. It's the attitude behind it. It's the spirit behind it. It's this desire. I need to, I want to, and I can do it. And so the transformation, true transformation, begins at the point of conviction. It's like, if I'm not convicted about something, I'm not going to change. And so, what is the point of conviction? What is going on by the Spirit of God inside me that makes me want to first look at myself or, or, be, or get to the point of, okay, am I wrong? The point of conviction. And so, just by definition, conviction, the state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. Is that hard to do? This is rhetorical. If you've ever confronted somebody, is it hard to get them to admit truth? Let me start with, is it hard for me to admit truth? Because transformation cannot happen unless this takes place first. I've got to get to the point to where I'm listening, I'm open, I'm hearing and I get to the point of conviction, it's like, okay, I need something different. Now, fortunately, in the Bible, we have a story about it. And so, 
Uh, in Luke chapter 15, we have a really good story called the prodigal son, where in this story, there's a decision, several decisions that are made that led somebody in the wrong direction, and then they made a change, they made a transformation, and they came back and their life was different even before they left. So Luke chapter 15, and you have on your outlines verses 11 through 24, so... Uh, Jesus told this story of a man had two sons. And the oldest, the, you know, the youngest son came to him one day and he said, Father, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Before you die. Which was very, very rude. It's just something that was not, I mean, usually if you are ever going to be fortunate enough to receive an inheritance, when do you receive the inheritance? After someone passes away, right? You can be excited about it. But, but to run after it is to say, I just wish you would die already. How rude is that? So this, was, this is just where that young man was at the time. And he was just, that's just where he was. And he really didn't care about the relationship. He really didn't care. And so he's like, just, I, and I want it now. And so his father divided up his inheritance between his two sons, gave it to the younger son. And it didn't take him long. Just a few days later, the son takes off, goes to a farmland, and begins to spend his money in wild living. And in the middle of that, a famine comes on the land. And the Bible says he became to be in want. He, he, he was lacking. He went through all of his money he went through all of his friends. Nobody was around anymore, and he's on his own. He became hungry, desperate. He begged for a job, and a man gave him a job feeding pigs. And the Bible says he got so hungry, he desired to eat even the pods that the pigs were eating. And then he came to his senses, and he did a self-inventory. Man, even... even the servants at my father's house eat better than this, have it way better than this. And look at me. I'm here feeding these pigs, which violated his religion because he was a Jew. And so he said, I'm going to go home. And he made a decision. And then he prepared his speech. I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say, Dad, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer even worthy to be called your son. Would you please just make me a hired servant? His father couldn't stand it. Saw him while he was a long way off. Ran to him, open arms, hugged him, loved him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer to be worthy to call my son. He can't get the rest of it out. His father yells out, hey, get a robe and put it on his back and get shoes for his feet and get a crown and put it on his head. This, my son, who was dead, is now alive. He's come home. He was lost, but he's now found. We're going to have a party tonight. And the story continues as the party happens and the older son found out about it we begin to find out the transformation that the older son needs to make, which to us really means this. All of us have transformation that needs to happen. All of us. 
And we can get focused on somebody else's transformation very easy. I mean, isn't it easy to see what somebody else needs to change? Paul says the hardest thing for us to see is who we really are. Right? So, out of that parable, four things I want to share with you when it comes to life transformation. And you can write these down. Four simple things. The first one is this. I am fed up with my life. I am getting, getting fed up with whatever it is that's not working. I'm tired of it. I'm fed up with I don't want to do that anymore. And coming to conviction about that. It's like I, I just can't keep going in that direction. I can't keep moving. I can't keep repeating the same mistake. I can't keep getting to this point and hitting a brick wall and backing down and hitting a brick wall and backing down or wounding people, or all that kind of stuff. I'm fed up with that. I want to do something different. And I'm not talking about you can easily see when somebody else needs to do that. I'm not talking about somebody else's. I'm talking about yours. What is it that... What is it that you're fed up with in the way you handle things. Not the way I handle it, not the way the next person, but the way. And so this is our own inventory. I'm fed up. And so this is how it says it in Luke 15. About that time his money ran out. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. He got so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. He got to the point where he was like, this is not working something's got to change I need to lead in that and I think we all need to say I need to lead in that right so just getting to the point to where we know something needs to change look at the way Isaiah 57 says the high and lofty one who lives in eternity the holy one says this what what is God's perspective on somebody when they get fed up with something that needs to change in their life. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. How will God treat you when you get to the end of yourself? Well, what did the father in the story do? He, not only did he welcome him, but he ran after him. The father, this is what God is looking for. He's looking for someone who decides that the best way of moving forward is not fighting. The best way to move forward is being humble and submitting. And God says, I love that. Heaven is full of people with contrite and humble spirits. And God runs after to restore the one that's crushed and to revive the courage of those who desire to repent. Hosea says it this way. The Lord says, Then I will heal you of your unfaithfulness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. Isn't that good news? That your father is going to love you unconditionally and, and, and with, without bounds, without conditions. He's going to just love you. And so for a lot of people, that's the scary part. Boy, if they find out who I really am, they're not going to love me. Boy, if I really confess, I mean, if I really tell the whole story, it's going to change things. 
And it's scary because you begin to feel like I'm, I'm about to lose everything. And what God is trying to do is let you know, no, no, no. You're, if, you'll, if you'll surrender, if you'll just get to the point where you're fed up and you know you need to change, it might be the first time you've ever found sure footing, solid foundation. Psalms, he will lift you out of the miry clay and set you on solid ground, right? And so just getting to the point where I'm fed up. So fed up is number one. Number two, own up to my wrong. Own up to my sin. Own up. So I'm first fed up. I can't keep doing this anymore. And now I need to own up to it. Okay, I did it. Okay. I can see it. Okay, you're right. Okay. I get it. So Luke 15, 17. When he finally came to his senses. When he finally had his eyes open. Now you couldn't have told him when he was at home. Because even if you're going down the wrong path, you will believe it is the right path for you. I mean, that's the whole, that's the, the trouble at the beginning, right? Is that even if we're wrong, we believe we're right. Or we justify it. Well, you're the one who, right? And so it's hard really to do, you know, this, this inventory. But recovery begins really with just, I got to do some moral, personal inventory. Who am I? How do other people see me? And what needs to change? And I got to own my stuff, own my decisions, own my behavior, own my attitude, own, I got, I got to own it. And so I own up to my stuff. Psalm 51, I love this spirit. This is David after one of his most embarrassing moments for all of his life. He gets to this point with God. He writes it all down so that we have it in a psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And if you've ever been at that point, sleep is hard to come by, isn't it? And it's like, man, I'm just not sleeping well. And it's just, I, I have to do something about it. I have to give it to God. I have to own it and I have to release it back to God and say, okay, something needs to change. Something needs to be different. So I'm first fed up with whatever's going on in my life that needs to change. And then I'm going to own up to it and say, okay, it was me. When I was uh, real little, I, I don't know why I still remember this story. And uh, I don't even know if I've shared it with you before. I was like six, seven years old. Mom, we were living in Quitman, Georgia. And uh, we only had like two bathrooms and everybody, you know, four kids. And, and so uh, we had a little bit of bathroom time. And Mom says, I need you to go take a bath. And I said, okay. So I went and took a bath. I need you to wash your hair. Okay. So I went and uh, I might have splashed some water on me, but I don't think I really took a bath. And I certainly didn't wash my hair. And I didn't know, because I was still young, that, you know, your parents can smell you when, and so, and so mom's like, hey, did you take a bath and wash your hair? I said, yes, ma'am. All confident, lying through my teeth. And she could tell. And she said, wait a minute. Where did you take a bath? And you washed your hair? Mm-hmm. You washed your hair? Because we didn't have a shower at the time. You washed your hair in that tub? 
uh, no, ma'am. Well, where'd you wash your hair? In the kitchen sink, which was our alternative bathing place. And so I would get a chair and move it in front of the, I've always been a tall guy. I got a chair and moved it in front of the sink, stood on the chair, put my head in the sink, washed my hair, and we had these glasses. And so I called them a handle glass because I'd put my hand inside the handle and I'd rinse the soap out of my hair with the handle glass. Well, where'd you wash your hair? In the sink. Well, how'd you get the soap? How did you get the shampoo out of your hair? With the handle glass. Hmm. Are you sure? Because it, yes, ma'am, I did. I did. I really, really did. So, you know, when you're young, you think you're so smart. It's not till you're way older that you begin to realize your parents could see exactly what was going on. As hard as you tried to defend it. So I sat on the bed, and at first, my mom gave me the thing, same thing that probably a lot of you got. Wait till your daddy gets home, right? But she couldn't stand it. It bothered her spirit because her son lied to her. And so she came in, and she said, you know, I don't think that you washed your hair. Only you know for sure. I'm going to go back to the kitchen. I have some work to do. And if there's ever something you feel like you need to tell me, I'm here. And she walked out, and I did not know what to do. I sat on the edge of that bed, sweating. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Until I finally couldn't stand it anymore. And I got up and went into the kitchen. And I just, you know, Mom, I lied to you. And she put down what she was doing. She turned around and gave me a big old hug. She let me know that she knew I didn't wash my hair, but she was so proud. And that began the spirit in me that said, if ever I'm wrong, I want to own up to it quickly. And I got a lot of wrong. Right? Owning up, owning up, owning up. How hard is it to own up to our stuff? That's just a big point, right? And it's, and it's a spiritual thing. It's just God's work in your heart. And we can get so cold. And there are times that we don't want to. Jeremiah 29. When you come looking for me, listen to this. You'll find me. This is God. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yep, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Woo! Write that one down. When you really want me more than anything else, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm not going to let you down. You will find me, and I will restore you. And somebody needs to hear that. Okay. I'm, going to, I'm fed up, and then I'm going to own up, and now I want to offer up myself. Now it's, it's Isaiah 1 says, stop doing wrong and start doing right, right? That's like verse 16 or something like that in chapter 1. I stop doing wrong, and I start doing right. It may be verse 18. But I offer up myself. Now I begin to, uh, okay, well now what do I need to do, 
right? What do I need to change? What do, how am I going to grow? So Luke 15 says, I'm going to go, this is when I'm going to go home to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just take me as a hired servant. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm submitting and offering myself before God. It's, honey, I am so sorry for what I did, and, and I want to offer myself back to you. It's, it's the, now, what is my offer back? Okay, so something has been different, not good. Something needs to change. And then, okay, right or wrong? Wrong. Now what? Offer back, offer back up. And this really needs to happen fast. Because the longer you sit where there's strain the easier it is to keep it that way. Next thing you know, all people want to do is separate. And so, I, I, I want to offer up quickly. It was so, it was, I don't know what it took to bring this young man to the, that point of conviction to where he finally just stood up and took the first step home and then just followed his feet from there. But whatever it was, that's just the courageous thing to do. And boy, God loves that. He loves it. 2 Corinthians 13, this is out of the message. Test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift away taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, do something about it. Take a step. And offer up something different. And make it easy. See, I, I think we make it easy for people to take a step. And I think we take the first step. When it comes to change and transformation. Right? So, just test yourself. And make sure that you're solid. And then number four, lift up my praise. So I'm fed up. And then I'm going to own up. And then I want to offer up. And now I want to lift up my praise. That's the most fun part of the story. And it's oftentimes a point that we leave out when it comes to transformation. But I think it's so important that we begin to lift up our praise to God, that we change. That at, at first it was like, man, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad. Now we've got to celebrate the good. Now we've got to replace it. But it all goes back to God. And so I lift up my praise. In the story, kill the fatted calf. You know, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost and is now found. So the party began. Real Man, this is, can you believe, look at this. And we celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate. And we offer up. Man, worship just, re, it just, re, it ushers in the praise of God. And it really thanks the one who brought in the transformation. It's because God wins. Because is our battle against flesh and blood, is our battle really against each other? Who is it against? The ruler of this world. And these demons in dark and hidden places who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the, the that, that, and if we're not careful, we land it on people and not on the enemy. And, but when you land it, when you're like, it, this is the fight against the enemy, then you begin to realize that the praise goes back to God. It is because of God that there's restoration. It is because of God that there's life. And so we began to praise God. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. This goes back to an old story that you can read about in Exodus 
with Moses, who was really so close to God that his face began to glow. You know, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And Moses got so close in his relationship with God that he began to glow out of this one-on-one contact relationship with God. And at first, it scared people. He's like, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, like Jesus. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Isn't that what we want? See, that's the goal. Our goal is to clean out all this junk. And for some of us, there's a lot of junk to clean out. And man, I got to, finally, I'm so tired of it still being in there. I want to get rid of it so that God can be glorified and real life and transformation can change. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever your mind occupies, your mouth and your behavior will follow. What occupies your mind? Right? So, I want it to be these kind of things. And when these things occupy my mind, then what comes out is praise. Amen? So here are the four, conviction, repentance, submission, and worship. I'm fed up, I own up, I offer up, and I lift up. And those are the stages of transformation. Easier to talk about than to live, right? <laughs> What's your first step? What's, I mean, if I were to just pause and I say, okay, and we were sitting in my office and we were facing each other and, uh, with mask on or what, and right, and I said, okay, what has God been teaching you lately? What has he been teaching you lately? What is it in your life that you're like, you know, I'm coming under conviction that this is something I need to do or something I need to change or something I need to quit? What is your next step? And what is it that you're wanting to own up to and that you want to offer up so that God can be glorified? So Tyler, worship team, if you guys will go ahead and come on up. This is where we want to land our message today. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, and this is the gospel message. This is it in a nutshell, in a four-stage life transformation process. It is saying, I am tired of my sin, and I no longer want to carry it. And today, I want... I want every one of us to evaluate, are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you decided that, that you're at the end of who you want to be and you're ready to become everything God wants you to be? And if so, what does that mean? What does that entail? It means that I first get to this point of conviction to where like, I'm not going to do life without Jesus Christ. He gave himself for me. And now, all I want to do is give myself to him. And so, I repent. I'm, I change my heart. I change my direction. I change my mind. And I now run after everything that God wants. And I demonstrate it physically, like Hillary did in baptism. The washing away of the filth of the flesh and the ushering in of being clothed in Jesus. 
And so I repent and I confess and I open up my heart to God.